G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Marn, and today we're back for part two of the Inside Story with Charlie Valor, where we're going into his borderless investing approach. Really excited to get his key learnings that he's had along the way, as well as some of his, how his actual strategies changed, because what you start out doing is never what you continue doing as you continue to learn. And we're going to be going into what made him buy in Perth and what his view is as an interstate investor and how he's pushed through that comfort zone to make it all happen. We're also going to go into the key role that buyers, agents and property managers have played in being able to buy this many properties so well, so quickly. And we're also going to be getting his take on where Perth sits compared to the other capitals because he's got a pony in each race at the moment. He's got a good perspective across the whole of Australia, and I'm keen to get his thoughts. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. What are some of the key mistakes and learnings that you've made along the way because you've done a lot in quite a shorter period of time i'm sure there's a lot of learnings in there yeah any I, that come to mind so many <laughs> so many where do we uh I, I would just say like one of the ones i mentioned earlier that i think is very appropriate here is like if you're going to do renovations or development i think one of the things i was a bit naive on was just recognizing the time commitment of that you can go way faster in accumulating property if you're acquiring property that doesn't need works versus needed works. So a uh, mistake I made was that initial development I took on thinking I would be able to get it done in uh, what I thought was going to be six months ended up being closer to 18 months. And I was quite hamstrung in what I could do because I was requiring at that point the finishing of that to get things refinanced so that I could then move to the next property. Yeah. So if you are, if you were using more complicated building finance, construction finance, other things. Yeah, the banks are also very wary about lending you for something else during that time as well. So it's like you're juggling and your balls are up in the air and until you catch them and resettle again, you can't go throwing the next investment property up. Completely. And to your point, that was exactly what hurt us is because we had this uh splitter that was on you know one title at this point and there's different finance sitting over it and it's like it doesn't necessarily look great on paper where when it was finished and two titles and all looks nice they're like two rents coming in it's got income now for it it's like oh great awesome let's go so those types of things uh again in hindsight i wish i'd uh more like paid attention to it's a really huge one the second one is and this is like I think you've got to have a really, really rock solid team around you. Like this is just such an important learnings of it there. It's very easy to sell yourself into your own bias and stories and having people to keep you on track can make a big difference. There's numerous times in the journey where I railroaded my broker and team wanting to buy properties that I thought were a good idea for the portfolio. And I was very fortunate that like we came close to even buying one of them, but it was only through like, uh, again, the role of the buyer's agents, the broker, where they were like, do you understand the impacts this is going to have on your ability to buy more investment properties? 
if you do this, like you might enjoy this sugar hit of having, you know, a massively upgraded PPR or, you know, you've got that development project you want to do at some point. It's yeah, like the trophy the, piece. Tell everyone about it in networking catch-ups. Absolutely. <laughs> so how, how does your portfolio, I guess, look now, fast-boarding to today? Because you had your initial sort of purchases. You took us through, you had that eight sort of acquisition in one year. Have you slowed down? Have you keep kept acquiring? Like how, how has it routed out since 2020, I guess? Yeah, so after that run, the last one we did on that run, which I haven't mentioned here, is we actually bought in Western Australia. So um, I'm a really big fan of WA and what's going on there. I I just love so much about it. I think we've spoken about this numerously as well, Jared. Not financial advice, right, as well. I hope people can appreciate that I'm uh, not necessarily the best person to speak to about picking investments for other people. I think they should uh, seek their own advisors in that world. But the whole portfolio, we hold 11 properties today. Uh, which I think is uh, just another way to measure it. We've got 11 titles, but then we've got like 16 tenants because some are like duplexes or triplexes type right, setups. Right. from. Yeah. I know different people count them differently. I've had people ask me how many doors. Yeah, that's like, the American term. Completely. <laughs> so I, I like to give people uh, both of them. All in all, I think the property portfolio is, I think it's around in the six millish category today. So it's sizable, I like to think. Um, and it's working really well for us. Excellent. And have you found any complications or challenges with having, you know, more tenants in under one title or the granny flat on the rear or, or have, did you choose properties that were set up really well for that? That's a great question. What's really interesting is like, it's like you have to treat this with the law of expectancy. So we've got, a, um, let's say 16 tenants right now. Right. Some of them we never hear from. They're really happy. We have people check in with them. They look after the property really well. And it's like, it's great. Works for everyone. The majority sit in the middle where it's like, okay, a couple of things come up here and now, but overall it's pretty good. And then uh, inevitably on the other end of things, we've ended up with a few properties that for whatever reasons have had maintenance issues or bad tenant feel or things haven't gone as perfect. I've always just taken the view though, if you zoom out and average it out across the portfolio, it's been really fantastic. It has. So we've been very fortunate in that. And we also, because of the due diligence we take with building in pest and then just checking the types of things we're buying and don't buy any, we don't buy in flood zones or anything that would expose us to, well, these days it's hard to say this, but anything that we think would put us in the category of more natural disasters or anything like that. So we've been very fortunate in that front as well. As for like tenancy issues themselves, uh, yes, we have had like in one of our, uh, the triplex, one neighbor complaining about the other. So that's been a little bit more interesting, close proximity stuff, but all in all, we've been very, very fortunate in the way things have stacked up. That's good. And I guess when you think back to how you approach your investing to begin with, has it changed much along the way? And what are you, I guess, looking for differently where you're at today? Like hugely, absolutely massively has changed where it's like, uh, the fun part of, and I'll think about this is like the fun part of property is the acquisition part. The initial growth part when you're buying all the property, it's exciting. You want to tell people about it. It's good. Um, and it's almost like dating in a relationship. It's the, it's the very <laughs> exciting this analogy, but yeah, I'm going to crosses over really well though, doesn't it? I'm going to definitely <laughs> borrow this for, for the, when I bring it up again. 
Completely, but like eventually we have to look at it and go. Everyone sometimes, don't we? <laughs> we got to we slow got to... it down. Ch- changes, right? Get a couple. Got a couple of kids as well now. It's like the relationship dynamics change. You know, things are, are different, and I'm not saying they're worse by any means, but it's different. Yeah. So one of the things that was kind of I would say difficult for us to adjust to is the idea of well, once you've got enough property where you've hit your goal, what what's the point in buying more? Do we keep doing this? Completely. And it's like, you start to realize, well, if you keep doing more, you're actually taking on more risk as well. And in the world of property, that could mean you're increasing your LVRs, taking yeah. on more debt, and you actually have something to lose. Going out of the bank's boxes, you know, making it harder. If they did change things for you to take the, the loans around to other banks, not have as many other options, affordability. So yeah, that finance game really starts to also play out on the other side of the keep adding wholeheartedly and then i think the big shift we had is like going okay well we've gotten to this place where it, things are really good here it doesn't make sense to continue on in accumulating in the way we had we've got something how do we make sure we keep something now how do we to a degree de-risk what we're doing and the consolidation phase of what this is often commonly referred to is where you're giving your portfolio a chance to like they call it breathing yeah. Where it's like you let a year go and it's like all your rents will theoretically go up in that year. You're also paying down a bit of debt, increasing your cash buffers, refinancing properties to be on better loan terms or with banks you want to be with over lenders you don't prefer. Like uh, upgrading properties as well, right? Doing maintenance on them to make sure they're going to you know last the next 20 years or more. All that type of stuff. Now I'm going to tell you firsthand, nowhere near as fun. No. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, well, you're going through this yourself oh, as well. That's right? why I've been reaching out for emotional support. <laughs> do, do you know what makes it worse? We play. Show me the way, Charlie. <laughs> we play in a world where other people we know are doing the accumulation thing, and it's like yeah. your FOMO kicks in. You want to get back in there, and I don't want this to be framed for the idea I'm done in property. I'm not. There's actually more I want to do, but I think when you get to a certain point, it doesn't make sense to run the same risk you once did. So I've been going through that. The other thing I heavily neglected was my super. Like I basically went all in on the property idea and wanted to see that through. And I've been very fortunate I saw that. But on the other side of things is like I completely neglected that. So have been going now. Well, right. It's time to make sure we do this properly and play for a longer term outcome here. Mm. Nice. So let's get serious, shall we? What made you buy in purse? <laughs> We are Perth Property Insider. I have to know, um, how did we sneak into the portfolio? All right. So, um, to shape this one out is that I was very fortunate to get approached to speak at a business event in Perth uh, quite a few years ago, and I hadn't actually been to Perth. And I will say it's very interesting when you speak to other property investors who will have an opinion on Perth and you ask them the question, this is East Coast as I'm referring to. Yeah. East Coast. West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to Perth? And they have these really strong opinions, but despite having been there. Now, I went to Perth on this business trip with a bit of an expectation. I won't lie. I perceived I knew what Perth was going to be like. And I did not expect it to be as beautiful and as awesome as it was based on the prices I was seeing. Right, So I'm looking at property in, let's say I'm in Melbourne. I'm looking at property in Melbourne. I know what, let's say, a million dollars could buy. Right. So I've got an expectation of the value of a million dollars. You know, I'm thinking of Perth. It's a small city. They just do mining. 
nothing there. Don't even, you know, like what, what's over there? I go to this business event. I see this beautiful city and I'm looking at this sun in like it was a time when Melbourne was notoriously cold. It was like September, right? Where it's still freezing in Melbourne and it's like nice and sunny in Perth. I'm looking at this and I'm going, why are we all in Melbourne? <laughs> like this does it. And then I start looking at realestate.com.au. Like who doesn't do that when you're a property investor, by the way? That's Every, just like, everywhere you go, it's like, oh, I wonder what prices are around here. <laughs> Completely. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, let's see what a million dollars can buy. And I look at it and I'm like, what? And like, it, I have this dystopian effect, right? This is where like, this doesn't make sense. And I'm almost skeptical and think that something must be wrong because I'm looking at equivalent properties. I'm like this, like, so I start talking to people and I'm asking like, you know, what, what's the, what's the scam? What's the joke? Like what, this doesn't make sense. What, what don't I understand? And you eventually come to like, you know, Perth had this mining boom on the back of that mining boom, there was a decline because of what changed. But it built this stigma into the investor psychology. And it's like, they haven't necessarily been there, seen what's happening, understand the changes. And I'm like, for me personally, and this is just my own interpretation, is like, I feel like there is a massive mismatch in what people think about Perth and WA in general versus what it actually is. And that in itself has created a massive price differential where the value exchange, what you can get for your money in Perth versus the incomes are there, versus the jobs market, versus the infrastructure. Like Perth has a massively thriving entrepreneurial in, uh, environment of people doing like digital businesses, not nothing to do with mining. Yet because of that event that unfolded, is like there's a bias in it. So yeah. when I looked at that and my own experience of being there that is a tailwind of what Perth is and WA in general is like, I, I mean, I, I like that for me. Like it fits my cater. And I then to, yeah, you look deeper into it. And again, this may not fit what's in the right for every investor out there. And please do get your own ad advice. But for me, the value proposition of what it is, I'm a big fan. That's, that's what I really had in my own experience. And I guess, how did you adjust your comfort zone to be able to buy into state? Because you I remember you said when you purchased your Wollongong one, you were probably just pushing the comfort zone a bit then, and then you went up to Queensland that pushed it a bit more. And for a lot of people, they're, they're like, oh, Perth's so far away. I haven't, many of them haven't ever been here. So it does take a lot of trust and pushing out of that comfort zone. How did you get to a place where you could sleep at night? Because you don't want to, you know, be doing investing to create your financial freedom, but but not be able to sleep when you put your head on the pillow. So. Completely. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of wired a little bit differently than some people. I got to a point where I, or in this case here to speak into specifics, I just looked at if I can only buy property that's within driving distance and I'm comfortable of, right? The reality is the opportunity pool around me isn't very good. And not only that is if something happens near me, like for whatever reason, if the economy of the Mornington Peninsula or Melbourne was to change, well, I'm very concentrated. Like that's actually, a, there's more risk in that Interesting. than potentially uh, other things. Now, I'm also very fortunate that in what I do in business, I get to travel or have traveled a lot. So I'd been to Sydney, I've been to Brisbane, I've been to these towns, I've been to Perth. 
And when I get to these places, it's like, and have actually, you know, stayed there for a duration of time, my comfortability in the realness of these economies shifted dramatically. So if you're someone trying to overcome like the whole idea of like the borderless investing, I would say like go and travel a little bit, see Australia, you will meet incredible people. And what's even more interesting is like, you'll start to see things that you might even consider as slightly better than your current location. So again, that value proposition in Perth is just the example. I'm like, I can't do that where I am. It's not the same. So the fear of staying the same and the fear of like not achieving the goals I had set out of myself ultimately was a bigger motivator for me than not doing it. And when you're more scared of saying the same than changing, well, change is easy. Yeah. It's when the reverse is true that change is really hard. Yeah, and I think you break that down really well. Many people perceive it being greater risk to go into state. You saw it through the other side of the coin. And I love when Robert Kiyosaki talks about two sides of the coin and, and how the rich can see the same thing, but from a different perspective. And that's just the classic case that you've unfolded for us there so it definitely helps to see through to your way of thinking if you do want to i think it you're de-risking as well i think by investing into state you get to ride the waves as it goes around australia and you're not so all eggs in one basket dependent on if melbourne does well then you're flying high when it's not doing so good you know you are in the gutter (laughs) so I did have to laugh at that because, like, in the last 12 months, the property I'd done in uh, WA has actually gone up about 11%. It was like it's come back on. And uh, the property I have in Melbourne is, is down about five. Right? And I just look at that and go, if I was concentrated, there would have been no balance out. Now, I, I just think, again, as a property investor, it's one of the things you should take into consideration is those types of diversification so you can play a longer game. I find it balances out my emotions as well when I can <laughs> latch on to one or two that are doing uh, good at that time. And then when it rolls around, you focus on the next ones that are doing well. And, you know, it's it's more balanced than both in, your, in terms of your portfolio and its growth and as well as your emotions, funnily enough. Completely. I haven't sort of heard anyone talk about the emotional side to, to why to do it. It's huge. Very important to both. Keeps you moving forward, keeps you positive, keeps you focusing on what's next rather than getting disheartened because your area that you might have all your eggs in happens to be down at the moment. And so you feel like, you know, you need to pause, but potentially when an area is down, that might be when you should be getting into it as well. (laughs) Absolutely. So tell us a bit about the team that made this possible. Like how important was the buyer's agent to this piece? Because yeah, I know that you said just how that you couldn't have done it otherwise, but how did they help with the whole thing? Yeah, so immensely valuable. I will stand here today or sit really, but I wouldn't have what I have today without the team. It's uh, by no means is like I get, I took the risk and like I get the property because of that, but the team around me inevitably played such a vital role. Now, uh, something I believe that I don't think necessarily all investors uh, believe in is like, my role really when it comes to building a portfolio is borrowing power and deposits, right? This Good is one. the, yeah. yeah, this is the thing that not many other people can do for me. So I can't go to my mortgage broker and go, do you know what? Can you earn a bit of income for me so we can get my borrowing power up? Right? He's going to probably have a little chuckle, although I wonder, we've got a pretty good relationship. So, uh, but it's like that I just 
took on is so critical. And I said, anytime I'm spending searching for the next location or trying to do my own bookkeeping or doing the conveyancing or going out and doing inspections is time taken away from actually creating the deposit and creating the borrowing power. So that's, that's my key role in it. Now, my wife is very fortunately, she's an accountant does come in very handy if you are a property investor. But we also have an accountant that does our compliance and is involved in our strategy and helps in that region as well. So the vital role of them is making sure that all of this is up to date and you've got accurate numbers so you can actually go to your mortgage broker and get your borrowing power done. So crucial roles and components even there. Now the mortgage broker one is probably the easiest one to explain out of all of these, but it's like, get me the money. Work it out. What do I need? And I think you want to have a really good dynamic between your mortgage broker and accountant so that your mortgage broker can provide feedback of like, these are the types of income levels you would need. And this is what I need to see so we can get the appropriate things done in the books. So you can adjust your living expenses or try and hit certain income targets or whatever it is. So you can keep playing the game of borrowing, right? Because no borrowing, no bueno. You don't get to keep playing the game. Next one on the list is the buyer's agent. Now, this is the person that goes out there and actually like picks the properties, does the negotiation and and all of that. And again, I looked at this one. This is probably the one I was most tempted to want to be involved in because it's exciting, right? You get in there. But I was very fortunate to spend an hour with uh, my buyer's agent and like actually see, I'm like, how do you pick a location? And in that hour, it became very clear to me that I'm never, ever going to do the amount of work he does to actually pick a location. The due diligence, the checking, the things they look at. You know, I thought from, I was just going, you know, population, a few good infrastructure projects, off we go. And I'm like, oh, there's a bit more to it than that. And when, you know, in business, something that's really worked for me or just thinking in life is like, you know, I'm not going to service my own car. I'm not going to do my own dentistry. Like there's specialists who are excellent at getting a result for other people in these industries. I'm going to treat buyer's agents the same. Is that they are specialists. Like it is a very key role I'm not going to put the work into. I want to delegate to this to make sure that I'm putting good assets in the portfolio. Because good assets makes it easy to come around and get more borrowing, makes it easy for the accountant, makes everything work. So this team becomes very, very critical into that. And I, I will say there's some kind of some sub roles in this as well. So that's like almost your acquisition team, right? Yeah. But then underneath that you have property managers conveyances there's a whole bunch of people behind the scenes that don't often get the glory or any recognition on the, the that side of it but they play such a key vital role as well so on the property manager side of things is like we've even done renovations where our property managers have helped us we've had them go out and like even provide feedback on properties before we've bought them yep. to say you know oh maybe not this one <laughs> yeah Consider this one. Looks good in the photos, but uh, did you realize those bedrooms, the family's not going to want to live there. It might be a four by two, but. Completely. The property managers have such local expertise and they've been a very uh, important resource on our team as well. Been a huge difference. And what has it been like when your property manager isn't exceptional or if you're having challenges? Because unfortunately we meet a lot of investors that it's a big part of the reason why they do get stuck at one or two properties. If the, if the management's bad, they've got having t- problems with their tenants, they just see another investment as another problem. So why would I want, why would they want more of those? 
why would they want to create this portfolio of 16 tenancies or whatever that you've got if that's going to be 16 lots of their initial problem they had on their first investment property and unfortunately that's a big reason why i think many sell up during the first five years and then don't go on to building more i completely agree we've had some interesting experiences like some of the properties we bought we've had been investment properties and we've taken over them and like taken on the property manager that they've had already looking after it had it in other times we've had it where like we actually had like a really good property manager so good he got promoted and he's no longer the property manager (laughs) but i said like things things change and life circumstance change and uh one of the unique things i'll say is like because of the number of property managers we have very unique differentials in going well that one's good and that one's not because we actually have comparison yeah where if you've only got one or two properties and you've got two stinker property managers how would you know better exists that's positive about having more (laughs) yeah so we have like got standards that we're looking for and like we want people to be able to meet those criteria like i was actually really delighted jared we didn't know previously that you actually serviced the area where our wa property is and when we found out i was like so excited to be able to move it over to to (laughs) you because our manager in that area not great so um excited for that i think you're about to score another few from my uh co-host on the podcast grant who had much the same experience in perth yeah, we're very excited to be working with Grant and yourself and we can uh, get lots of feedback from you as well as to how we compare. But yeah, we it's certainly the main thing that we do and we're very proud of our reputation and you have to earn it every day. It's no point having lots of Google reviews and award if you're not proving it to each client. So Completely. And like you can even see it now, like you care about your standards, right? And you take pride in what you're doing. I wish this was a universal truth across the industry. Like it appears some places, and I won't name them, is like, that's just not what they're doing. And I, I kid you not, this yeah. is one of the experiences we've had. It's like we, uh, when I say we, someone I know was using a property investor who basically outsourced their property management business to a VA in the Philippines and instead was like just driving around posting flash photos of their Mercedes on social media. <laughs> Gee. I won't name the person, but... um. If that's the experience you're having with your property manager, and now you've got someone outside the country who can't go to the property or see things, trying to manage these properties, can you see how that might be a challenge? Well, the basics aren't always done by everyone, and it's still crazy for me 15 years in to think that people aren't even getting back to people on communication. And every week we have people frustrated with their managers coming to us that you know, you'd think the basics getting done, but it does take a lot to get that done across a whole team and they have to have all the same values as you uh, have as the business owner. And as you grow, that can sometimes be challenging. And I'm just really grateful for the team that we have. And I'm certainly not going to sit here and take all the credit because they're the amazing ones that deliver on all the promises we make. So very grateful. If investors were going to do one thing though, and I will preface this, is just like the more you can have clear expectations with your property managers of like, all right, if I call you, how long should it take before you call me back? I don't expect you to call me instantly unless it's an emergency, but let's, you know, set some tone or is email better? Like what's the best way for us to work together to be successful? And it's like, you know, with our property managers initially, we had one that was just like ringing us all the time for everything. And it was just like, cool, if you can solve this problem without calling us, 
it's so good to get this kind of feedback too with the manager because some owners want to know everything and they prefer phone as a as their method completely two sides to this isn't there and then others you know just send me an sms or just send me an email and i'll get to it call me if it's an emergency you know and so it's good to feel out what you want as an investor and then tailor it and a good manager will do that so well that is the most noticeable gap they're not feeling it out for a lot of these they just kind of get in their little world and like that's what they do so how i do so i just keep doing totally <laughs> so what do you um i guess see ahead for Perth property and the other capital city markets because you having a vested interest in each of the most of the capitals now you keep a good eye on things like i am what's your crystal ball for the year i think my favorite part jared we get to go pure speculation here right yes. this is uh, so, so my general picks in here is that uh, I think that property is going to go on a tear in the coming years again. I look at the, from my perspective, immigration continues to be pushing higher. The demand for housing is essentially higher than ever. I just look at that alone and go supply and demand, very, very favorable. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember ever having vacancy rates this low, well, not in my 15 years. I don't think people understand how much that will underpin things. And then when we combine unemployment and people having jobs as well underpinning, those two things is what I hang on to most for the strength underneath the economies and the housing market. Me too. But I look deeper than this is like I speak to my, like I've got cousins that are in their 20s, right? So they're like, um, I hate to admit it, but they're substantially younger than me now. But I asked them the question not long ago. I'm like, oh, do you want to buy a house? Like, is that something for you? And like, inevitably, all of them still have the dream of owning property. So culturally, I don't see that slowing down as well. We are a property nation and people want to own property. If that turned, I would be slightly more concerned of it overall. And then the other side of this is like, I see this beautiful revolution going on right now about how we work online and work from home and the landscape of it. And I think this is going to open up significant opportunities in different regions away from Melbourne and Sydney. So my, again, this is just my personal view. You could probably still do well investing in Melbourne and Sydney specifically, but where I'm seeing the most opportunity is where that value proposition lives. Because I think it, uh, for me, it's like, if you have the opportunity to earn a really good income, your home price is not outrageously high in comparison to Melbourne or Sydney lifestyle factors have that being more attainable for many people and probably more desirable so that's some of the like trends i'm trying to get on the back of and whether that's through perth or other major regionals i think that's quite an exciting market to look at as well interesting well one thing's for sure it's gonna be interesting (laughs) in the year ahead and um looking forward to our chats offline and um thanks so much for coming on today and sharing your journey and all your knowledge that you've gained i think it's going to give people a lot of great insights thanks charlie my absolute pleasure Aaron. just a reminder the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature as we don't know your specific situation you should always seek professional advice before taking any action for free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. 
Let's be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.